How can we as healthcare practitioners move from just providing disease management to providing true healthcare? That is the question, and this is the answer. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast that helps you grow your practice and expand your skills as a practitioner. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for wellness-minded people and professionals who are passionate about transforming our broken system into a true healthcare system and empowering millions of people to go from disease and dysfunction to living the healthiest life possible. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, and I passionately believe that all diseases can be reversed or prevented through proper diet lifestyle approaches. And I can't wait to share my guest with you today. Well, I'm just going to say hello and amen to that introduction. And you are just not whistling Dixie. This is a huge initiative that you're taking on, but so needed. You know, I always say that we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, except I think that this is one of those times where like we really need to start all over. Awesome. Because we've gone so far astray from where we should be and what we should Amen be Amen to that. So let me introduce you to our very <laughs> outspoken, beautifully stated guest today, who is Dr. Jen Simmons. She started her professional career as a breast surgeon. She was the first fellowship trained breast surgeon in Philadelphia, and she spent 17 years as Philadelphia's top breast surgeon. But her own illness led her to discover, guess what? Functional medicine. So she left the traditional, I won't even call it traditional, right? It's more conventional, right? Because traditional implies, right? So she was just so excited about the concept of creating health versus killing disease that she left her conventional medicine career as an esteemed breast surgeon and 2019, so not all that long ago, and founded a group called Real Health. So I want to hear more about that. Like what was on your mind and what prompted you? I mean, you built a really successful career and you left it behind. So talk to us more about like that whole, yeah. It's like a crazy story. And when I had given my notice, a friend of mine who was on the board of the main hospital that I worked for, I think he thought I was like losing my mind. And he asked me to dinner and he said, let me get this straight. You're driving down the Autobahn in your Porsche doing 220. You pull over, you get out of your Porsche, you get into a Prius and get back on the highway doing 65. (laughs) He's like, help me understand this. But anyone who has had the opportunity to see both sides of it knows exactly what I'm talking about. And so, yes, I did spend a really long time in conventional medicine at the top of my field doing what I thought was the good work, right? And then I got sick. And then I learned what the work is as a patient and learned that our conventional medical system doesn't heal anyone. It doesn't. It's not designed for healing. That's not what it's designed for. 
our conventional medical system is a machine. It's designed to continue to keep you in the system. And you only get into that system when you fail. And so, you know, I failed, right? And that's how I got into the system as a patient. And it was only when I was presented with what we in the conventional medical field called solutions that I realized that it wasn't solving anything at all and that it's only just perpetuating illness. And once that bell was rung for me, I couldn't unring it. And I couldn't hypocritically use one thing to treat myself and a whole other set of paradigms to treat my patients, right? And so the only thing that made sense was to walk away and come at it from a completely different perspective. So, you know, I came to the breast cancer space very organically. I mean, it was like the only logical place for me. There was never a time in my life where I didn't know about breast cancer. So my first cousin when I was growing up was a singer songwriter named Linda Creed. And Linda wrote all the music for the spinners and the stylistics. She was like the queen of Motown sound in Philadelphia. She was brilliant, beautiful, larger than life, like lit up a room and so deeply talented that she just radiated everything that I wanted to be, right? She was my hero. And people say casually like, oh, she's a rock star. My cousin was literally a rock star, literally. So her most famous song that she ever wrote was The Greatest Love of All. And she wrote that in 1977 as the title track to the movie, The Greatest, starring Muhammad Ali. But it really received its acclaim in March of 1986 when Whitney Houston released that song to the world. And at that time, you couldn't turn on a radio station without hearing that song. I mean, it was just so universally known. And it would spend 14 weeks at the top of the charts. Only Linda would never know that because she died of metastatic Mm. breast cancer just one month after Whitney released that song. How sad. I was 16 years old when my hero died. At the most, couldn't have been a more impressionable time, right? And so I did the logical thing. Like I never wanted another woman, another family, another community to have to suffer like that. It was awful. And I mean, the world was grieving Linda's loss and it was a tremendous one. And so I go to college, I go to medical school, I become a doctor, I become a surgeon, I become the first fellowship trained breast surgeon in Philadelphia. I'm doing really innovative things. I'm practicing oncoplastics. I think I'm getting a silver lining for people. You know, one of the first things I would ask everyone with a diagnosis of breast cancer was, what don't you like about your breasts? Like, let's take this opportunity to fix it. And I really thought I was doing the good work. And I'm practicing breast surgery. I have a brilliant practice. I'm running the cancer program for my hospital. I'm a wife, a mother, an athlete, a philanthropist, and I have all these balls in the air, and I fancy myself an expert juggler until one day when everything comes falling to the ground and I go from being what I thought was invincible 
to not being able to walk across the room without being short of breath. Oh my. And I have like this exhaustive three-day workup and I'm in the office of my colleague and friend, but physician. And he's telling me that I need to have surgery, chemo radiation, take lifelong medication. And it's like I'm having this out-of-body experience where despite the fact that these are things that I recommend all day, every day without hesitation or reservation, when these words are coming at me, I'm like, I'm in Charlie Brown's classroom. Wah, 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 wah. And so I don't know, call it God, call it universe, call it whatever you want to call it. I refused treatment. I walked out of that office that day saying, I don't know why, but this isn't right for me. And he did what I would have done in the same situation. He said, if you don't treat this, you're going to die. And, you know, we routinely use fear as a tactic to get people to be compliant. I mean, medicine, despite like modern thinking, medicine is still so paternalistic. It's like my way or the highway, right? And so it's not that I didn't believe him because I knew that that was the standard of care, but I just somehow knew that that wasn't going to be my path. And I went on this whole exploration to heal myself and I go to Dr. Google, which I tell everyone never to do. And actually in this day and age, you can't even go to Dr. Google because the narrative is so tightly controlled that there's no truth on Google anymore. But at that time, there was so much talk around diet, 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 diet. Because I wasn't overweight and because I was a medical doctor, I thought that I knew what I needed to know about diet and nutrition. But then I realized there's always more and I am without question a lifelong learner. I am one of those like just thirsty for knowledge people. So I enroll in a certificate training program. The Institute for Integrative Nutrition has like a health coaching program, right? So I enroll in that so reluctantly. I mean, like I thought that they probably like didn't even want to take my money. I was so annoying because I called back a thousand times to say, are you sure I'm going to learn something? I mean, I'm a doctor. And at this point, like a doctor for 20 years, are you sure I'm going to learn something? Yes, yes, yes. There's plenty of doctors in our program. So I go, it's one of the first lectures, and a man walks on stage, introduces himself as Dr. Mark Hyman. He's a functional medicine physician. Now, this is 2017. So yes, he had written some books at that time, but he was not universally known in the way that he is now. And I would argue that he's really only known to people who are awake. And there are millions and millions of millions of people who are still asleep. So he walks on, he introduces himself, and I say, you know, my snooty booty self is like, you're a functional medicine physician. I've been a doctor for 20 years. There's no such thing as a functional medicine physician. What is this quack talking about? And then I remember that I'm sick and I'm there for a reason. So I check my ego at the door. I sit down, I shut up, I open my ears, and thank God I did. Because within five minutes of him speaking, my whole world makes sense. And I realized that the reason that I got sick was so that I could be there 
in that room, in that seat, on that day, listening to this man speak. Because what he was saying made my whole life make sense. And I realized all of the brokenness of not only the medical system, but what I was doing, how my path was broken. Because I was looking at cancer as the issue, right? Looking at the tumor as the issue. But as anyone who has their eyes open realizes, the tumor is the symptom of the issue. And we treat cancer just like we treat everything else. Suppress the symptom, suppress the symptom, suppress the symptom. But when you think about it, people who are on a cancer journey, they're already so out of balance, right? They're already so off. And then what do we do to them? We put them through a surgery. We give them chemotherapy. We radiate them. And then we expect them to be well afterwards when all we've done is rob them of more health. We've thrown them even more off of their game. And so when I realized all of this, first of all, I'm a very, very quick adopter. So I'm a quick start person. I hear this functional medicine doctor talk. He is so brilliant. You know, the next two hours, I am just on the edge of my seat, hanging on to every word he has to say. And what do I do when he walks off of the stage? I go online and I enroll in the Institute for Functional Medicine. And I spend the next three years just immersed in the study of functional medicine because I know that this is the future. And if I am going to heal myself and I am going to heal my patients, I need to get to the root cause. I need to figure out why this is happening. Because again, like cancer is not the problem. It's the symptom of the problem. And cancer is a normal response to an abnormal environment. And so what we need to do as a medical profession is make sure that people know how to be well. And that is the last thing that is happening in any conventional medical space. There is no one anywhere that is going to the doctor and saying, doc, do everything you can to help me be healthier. And if that is happening, they're walking out of that office with nothing because our medical system doesn't know how to be healthy. It's not powered for that, right? Right, totally. And health doesn't happen in a medical office. It doesn't happen in a hospital, a chemotherapy suite. Health happens at home. Totally. And we need to teach people. We need to empower people on how to be healthy. How to live, how to live, how to make choices every single day that lead to health every rather than disease, day. every single moment of every day. And I love what you just said. I, I always say to people, good health doesn't come in a bottle. You have to do the work, right? You have to change things. You have to do the work. It's not like they're people on Facebook are telling you, just take this special supplement or just take, or medicine will tell you, just take this drug and everything's going to be fine. No, we've got to do the work. And I love that you, you came to that from your own illness. Yeah. Yep. Now I want to be clear. It wasn't any easier for me than it is for anyone else. And healing is not linear. Healing is hard, really hard. And it took me three full years to be well. And for every step up I took, there were two steps back. 
And I also had to figure out a lot of things on my own in a paced kind of way. Like I didn't learn about functional medicine and master functional medicine in the same day. Exactly. It takes time. Right. It took a long time. But for people like me who have both been through it, have studied and have mastered, it's a different story. And we can significantly help people speed up their timeline or avoid disease in the first place. Yep. Right? Yep. And wouldn't that be nice to really teach people to avoid disease? Unfortunately, the vast majority of my patients are already coming to me with a diagnosis. Right. Well, you're a breast surgeon. Why why would they come to you otherwise? I'm not a breast surgeon anymore. Yeah. So I left breast surgery in 2019. I actually remember the day that I resigned because I was seeing patients and I had a 19-year-old who was coming to see me for a breast mass. So she actually gets wheeled into my office by her mother. And this is because she has MS that at 19 is so progressed that she can't walk the 30 feet from the elevator to my office. And I just had happened to listen to Terry Walls talk the week before. I was at a conference and I met Terry Walls and listened to her speak. So I am like a giddy school child, so excited to talk to this young lady with MS about Terry Walls and tell her her amazing story of recovery. For those of you who don't know who Terry Walls is, she was an internal medicine doctor in the Midwest. I I believe she was in Iowa and she was running the residency program and just super high functioning, gets diagnosed with MS. And within two years, she goes from super high functioning to in a zero gravity wheelchair, which means that she lacks the strength to sit up She cannot even support her own weight sitting up. So you can imagine how progressed that is. And she has access to everything, every drug, every medical trial, everything. And despite all of that, still continues to progress. And I don't remember what the impetus was, but something told her that she needed to change her diet. And within weeks of changing her diet, she begins to improve. In six weeks, she's back to work. A couple of months, she's now riding her bike 20 miles a day. I mean, it is an insane story of recovery, but she develops this protocol and helps thousands of people with MS recapture their health. So I'm like a giddy school child telling this 19-year-old and her mother the story And so excited that I think that she's just going to have her mind blown that she can reverse her disease and live a normal life. And after two minutes, she puts her hand up to me and says, are you going to do my biopsy or not? And I was like, oh, yeah, not everyone wants to help themselves. Some people just want the pill want the procedure, you know, they don't want to participate in their care. They don't want to do the work. And that's fine. I'm not judging. Really, I'm not. However, I decided that day, I'm going to choose who I work with. And I only want to work with the people that want to do the work. 
right? I only want to work with people who want to be healthy, who want to take responsibility, and who are not looking to me to do the work. Like, I can't be your hero. Only you can be your hero. I can for sure be your guide. I can support you, but I can't be your hero. And I resigned that day. That's profound. Again, you know, like everyone thought I, I lost my mind, but I really gained my mind. <laughs> I love that. And you followed your heart. You followed what you knew was right. And that's a big thing. And a lot of doctors don't have the courage to do that because, well, what do I do next? And where's my money going to come from? And how am I going to start over? And on and on and on and on and on. But you had the courage to say, I have to do what's right. I have to really hit, stick to my Hippocratic oath. First, do no harm, right? And and what you said earlier, a lot of these procedures are not sticking to the Hippocratic oath. They are doing harm, radiating, cutting, uh, uh, chemotherapy. They're harming with yeah. the intent of getting rid of something as opposed to going in deep and building the body up so it can reverse these things and it can turn things around. So you did that. And tell me what happened after that. Like how, I know now you have a course, My Answer to Breast Cancer. You're helping people in ditching their diagnosis and designing their destiny. I love that phrase from your bio. So tell us more about how you've progressed, but also our practitioners want to hear definitely how you work with people to reverse without surgery. First, I want to say that I don't think it's an either or. And for lots of people, it's an and. But the important part is this side of it. There are some people whose tumor burden is so great that they need help. They need some rescue. They need some emergency intervention, right? Their proverbial sink is overflowing. So you got to mop up the floor. And surgery, chemo, radiation, that's mopping up the floor. Like I had a woman who came to me last week and she has tumor growing through her skin. Me telling her to be a vegan and go on a fast is not going to be fast enough. You know, that's someone that radiation is perfectly appropriate. And I mean, she's suffering and I want to get her out of suffering as quickly as I can. So this is mopping up the floor. But the more important thing, the most important thing, because you can't mop up the floor forever, right? You can't perpetually keep someone on chemo. You're going to kill them. You can't keep someone on radiation. You're going to develop another cancer, right? So we have to use these things sparingly and minimally. And then we need to figure out why is your sink overflowing? How do we turn off your faucet? How do we unclog your sink? Like what is happening there? And that's the end. That's the work everyone needs to do. Because if all you do is have the surgery, take the pill, get the chemo, get the radiation, if that's all you do, then you haven't changed anything. You haven't changed the trajectory of your life. And the truth is, the, by far, the threat to a woman's life is cardiovascular disease, by far. In every decade of a woman's life after 40, exponentially more women will die of heart disease than of breast cancer. Even the women with a breast cancer diagnosis will exponentially die of heart disease more than breast cancer. Right. 
And we know that all of our treatments for breast cancer will only make that worse. They will only accelerate heart disease. And that happens for two reasons. First, the treatments really do accelerate heart disease. Chemotherapy will accelerate heart disease. Radiation will accelerate heart disease. The aromatase inhibitors will accelerate heart disease. So most of the things that we do to treat breast cancer will accelerate heart disease. And for the people that never figure out that why, and they have that underlying inflammation, that's still there. That's getting ready to manifest in heart disease. Or another cancer. Or another cancer right? If you don't deal with the inflammation, it's going to deal with you. Exactly. For the practitioners that are out there and trying to figure out how to do this, you know, there's no easy way. I mean, it's really hard and it takes a lot of sacrifice. I am a very God faith person and I knew that God was sending me this huge sign and I knew that I had to follow it and I just trusted that God would take care of me along this way. I am not going to tell you that it was easy. I went from a huge paying job, being a big wage earner in my family, and it definitely took sacrifice. I don't know, maybe, you know, I left surgery and opened Real Health MD in October of 2019, and then there was COVID. <laughs> in early 2020. So, you know, maybe that was God saying here, I'm going to slow things down so that you can catch up. Because that was a time when I learned a lot about being a practicing functional physician, but a lot about how to run a business. Mm. Because that's another thing that people don't teach you in medical school. And It's really important because unfortunately, you know, if you can't keep your doors open, if you can't keep your lights on, you can't help people. So you have to be able to do the business side if you want to help people. There were a lot of changes. I mean, we definitely did less, lived differently for a number of years because, you know, I was starting over. Right. I was starting starting over at 50. You know, and so many things you mentioned, you know, you have so much of a learning curve. You have to learn to take your knowledge of how the body works and use it from a perspective of when something goes wrong, how do I, how do I relate that back to how it should be working and what's out of balance? And, you know, we we don't learn that in medical school. And then you have to learn how to create a business because if you're working in a hospital or you're working in a practice, then you're, that's handled for you. And that's why in our program, our nutritional endocrinology practitioner training, we incorporate all of that, including self-care as well, to make sure that everybody has what they need, not just the clinical skills, not just the business skills, but also that they're given the tools to help take care of themselves. So what I want to hear from you is how you go from you know people coming to see you, obviously with breast health, but maybe other things as well, but what kind of approaches do you take with them? What's like the first thing you do? What would you have done with that woman, that 19-year-old who said, oh, just where's my biopsy? What would you have done ideally? We are living in an ever increasingly more toxic world. And so what most people do, need to do is identify the toxins and eliminate them. 
And you have to couple that with strengthening your immune system. So the number one spot that I start with everyone is in the gut because it's through what we eat and drink that we have our greatest exposure to the outside world. And 70% of our immune system is housed in the gut. So what I would have started with that girl and where I start with every single one of my patients is knowing what they eat and drink and talking to them about how, when, and what to eat. And that ends up being the single greatest influence on, on your health. And that's your biggest needle mover. And do you have a particular approach to eating or do you adapt that to each person? So I, I think that there are some general rules that apply to everyone. So I believe that everyone does better on a whole food, plant-based low glycemic diet. And I am specifically talking about in the cancer space because that the vast majority of people who seek my help and my advice is in the cancer space. I get a little bit of autoimmune because people hear my story and know that I had autoimmune disease, but mostly people come to me with a cancer diagnosis or a fear of cancer. And so in that population, the low glycemic part is very important. And I also advocate for a grain-free diet. And why is that? Tell us a little bit more about that. First of all, most grains are pretty high on the glycemic index. Even whole grains, when you compare them to other foods, they're higher on the glycemic. But grains are seeds of grass. And grasses are consumed by ruminators. Ruminators have a very different digestive tract than we do. So ruminators have a very long and redundant GI tract. And so when grasses go through their GI tract, they spend a very long time in there and the nutrient is able to be extracted from that. When we consume grasses and the seeds of grasses, we have a very short digestive tract in comparison. So we are not able to extract the nutrient. And in fact, we have no nutritional need for grains at all. None. If we never ate another grain again, we would suffer no nutritional deficiency. I agree with that. I've been five years without grains and I'm running strong. Yep. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. And people who think they're well and they pull grains out of their diet say to me all the time, I can't believe that this is what you're supposed to feel like. I thought I was well, I thought I was healthy, and I took grains out of my diet, and I can't believe that I walked around for as long as I did feeling the way that I did, thinking that that was normal. Everyone gets a little bit of inflammation from grains, and it's just a question of how much you're getting. So the people that get a little bit probably do okay. The people that get a lot get leaky gut, their immune system gets triggered, And when you are exposed to things that are not good for you day after day after day after day, your immune system gets exhausted fighting the fight. And what happens to an exhausted immune system? Well, we all make cancer cells. Every one of us, young, old, and everyone in between. 
And an intact immune system can handle that. But if you have an immune system that's exhausted because every single day it's fighting a war on its front line, guess what? It can't deal with that cancer. It's like, I can't, I can't even with you, right? It just, just don't have the bandwidth. So pulling out grains makes sense for so many reasons. We don't tolerate them. If you pull out grains, you eliminate a whole host of toxins. So you eliminate all of the pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, glyphosate. You pull all of that out of your diet. And so it moves your needle really far towards health. Plus the glycemic index alone, because cancer cells have, what, 10 times more uh, insulin receptors. Yep, yep. That's exactly right. So grain-free, low-glycemic, plant-based. So what do you have people eat and how do you address like the fat question that comes up all the time? I think healthy fats are really necessary. I advocate for a keto-ish diet in that I want people to be eating lots of vegetables and I want each time they're eating vegetables, I want that to accompany a healthy fat. So like your vegetables are a vehicle for your avocado, your olive oil, Nuts and seeds, I think, are an important part of everyone's diet. And what it really comes down to with people is where are you getting your protein? So I would prefer people are primarily plant-based and get their protein from plant-based sources. And that's why I particularly call myself keto-ish because I'm allowing for the carbohydrate and I never have any one measure. Like I'm not having anyone measure macros. I think cancer is hard enough. If you're trying to measure your macros on top of it, like I, I don't want to create more stress. stress. Stress is already a huge issue for people. So I definitely don't want to create more. And it's not necessary. It's not necessary. It's not. Yeah. And listen, for the people that are into it and they want to check their urine and, you know, God bless. I don't stop people from pursuing what feels good to them, but I don't require it and I don't recommend it. Great. So you, you work on the diet. It sounds like it's a really high nutrient dense, lots of phytonutrients, low yes. in toxicity, yes. low in irritants to the gut. And so are there other factors? You start with the food, but then what? What you eat matters, but when you eat matters too. And it matters a whole lot. So I do a lot of work with people on fasting and fasting. I, I love the book by Dr. Mindy Pels, Fast Like a Girl. Also the Intermittent Fasting Transformation by Cynthia Thurlow. These two books are written so well and really give people the why because many people won't make the changes unless they really understand the why. And so, you know, all the science is there and it's really clear to people. Um, but I have people fasting every day. So I don't think anyone should be eating in the middle of the night. I think that everyone should have long breaks from between one day and the next. Um, I think that we should eat in an evolutionary manner. Uh, I'm very against grazing. If you need to snack, you're not eating enough at your meals. In the end, it's all about an insulin game. 
Insulin is a growth factor. And the higher our insulin levels, the higher the insulin-like growth factor that's circulating, the more tumor propagation is going to happen. And so not everyone is going to have the same fasting routine. There are differences in how you should fast depending on where you are in the monthly cycle. If you're postmenopausal, you should vary your fasting because we don't want to get to a point where we're all in deprivation mode. And then the work of Walter Longo around the fasting mimicking diet and longer fasts and taking advantage of that metabolic state, especially during treatments like chemotherapy, it makes a huge difference. So if you're fasting while you're getting chemotherapy, the normal cells are quiet because cancer cells don't have the ability to quiet themselves right? So the cancer cells are going to take up more of the chemotherapy, whereas your normal cells really aren't. And for the people that fast during chemotherapy, first of all, they get far more benefit and they get far less side effect. So they avoid the fatigue, they avoid the nausea, they have energy, they, they don't have pain, they're sleeping, they're not depressed, they're not anxious. It makes a huge, huge difference. And they don't get the skin changes. They don't have the nail changes. They have less hair loss. It makes a huge difference if you're fasting or not fasting during chemotherapy. I love hearing that because so many people are told you've got to keep eating. And they're like throwing calories at people because they don't want them to get cachexia and stop eating and wither away. And so it's like, here, just take this bread. Here, just take this sugar. Take... And I think it's just so counterproductive. Or insure. Or insure. Oh, my God. My brother was recently given that insure. I said, have you read this? This is a surefire approach to getting your cancer back. Do not do this. And I managed to get him to listen to me and change to a more plant-based, whole food kind of supplement. And it makes a huge difference. Thank God he listened to you. I know. Yeah. Unfortunately, the vast majority of cancer centers are doing exactly what you talked about. They are saying, no matter what, don't lose weight. You know, cachexia is a sign that comes along with end-stage cancer. And the vast majority of people who are undergoing cancer treatment, especially for breast and colorectal cancer, these people are obese. Yeah, that's true. These people are overweight. They have weight to lose and the weight loss benefits them. It benefits them tremendously. And the people that lose weight during treatment have much better outcomes than the people that gain weight because gaining weight is a very pro-inflammatory state. So if you just follow CRP alone, you'll see the CRP, the C-reactive protein in people who are losing weight will go down. And the people who are gaining weight will go up. And that is one of the indicators of whose cancer is progressing and whose is regressing. I love hearing this because it's been what my experience is. And I don't work with a lot of cancer people. I just work with run-of-the-mill people with chronic fatigue and autoimmune disease and all that. But here's the thing, you know, that whole Walter, I'm glad you mentioned Walter Longo and the fasting mimicking, because I really liked the approach. I love the research. And I think that, you know, he, he sells a product that's just powdered and all this. I created a program that we call Fasting While Feasting, and it mimics his macro ratios and all that. Um, and we have people do it for five days with amazing 
results. Yeah, I have the same thing. I developed my own. And it's like, I mean, it's similar to what he's offering, but I use products that are readily available out there. And you can make your own green juice, green smoothie, or you can make your own vegetable soup. And so I give people these options and then, you know, they're having a handful of nuts or a handful of olives, a half an avocado and seed crackers. And, you know, so I, I basically mimicked what he was doing in a totally like non-processed way, because I agree with you. The highly processed diet kind of feels icky in this space where we're really trying to, you know, bolster our health. Yes, Absolutely. Well, I could just talk to you for hours <laughs> because this is so fascinating and we're so aligned in our approach. And I would love for you to leave our practitioners who are listening. We have all kinds of practitioners, medical doctors, nurses, uh, health coaches, nutritionists, and we have some just people who like to, like you said, understand the processes. So what would you like to leave everybody with in terms of, you know, somebody comes into your practice and you're not a breast cancer specialist, you're not a surgeon, you're just helping to support them through whatever choices they make. Give us just a good, you know, a couple of tips. I say all the time, you know, breast cancer patients are people too, just like anyone. And the statistics are that one in three Americans will deal with a cancer diagnosis over their lifetime. One in three. So these people are coming into your office, whether you realize it or not. And the approach to everyone is the same. We want to make sure that they are eating an anti-inflammatory diet. What we eat and drink is our greatest exposure to the outside world. So we want to make sure that they're eating an anti-inflammatory diet, that they're fasting, because everyone should be fasting in some capacity. We were not meant to feed all the time. Feeding is an inflammatory state. Every time we eat, we turn our immune system on. So we are asking our immune system to check out every single thing that we put in our mouths. So we don't want to do that too frequently. We want to give our immune system time to rest so that it can do its job. So fasting for everyone, limiting alcohol, the American Cancer Society says there is no safe amount of alcohol for women. Don't shoot the messenger. And for men, it's a maximum of one drink a day, and it should not be on consecutive days. And so limiting alcohol is a big thing that you can do to propel your health. Making sure that you are having joyful movement in your life. We should be as active as we can be. Sitting is the new smoking. And as you cross over 50, you have to change that exercise. It has to go from cardiovascular to weight bearing. Have to. We have to preserve our muscle mass after 50. It, like non-negotiable. You can do the cardio before 50, but after 50, it needs to look like weight bearing and you need flexibility and balance because you need to maintain that mind-body connection. And that's how you're doing it. All our basics, prioritizing sleep, right? Sleep is where the healing happens. So we are a society that values the awake. And what we need to do is prioritize sleep. We need to eliminate as many toxins as we can. We need to find ways to manage the stress. The stress is not going anywhere. It's ever present and ever abundant getting more and more abundant every single day. So you have to have some tools in place. You got to fill your toolbox. 
with stress management techniques. And then at the end of the day, everyone needs to live purposefully. You have to have a reason to be, and you need to follow that. And it doesn't have to be grand and you don't have to save the world. You just have to be living in integrity with whatever it is you were meant to do. If you're meant to be a great mother, a great gardener, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just do what you were meant to do because God put us all on this earth with an individual mission. And all you have to do is fulfill that individual mission. Absolutely. I love, I love, I love this. And those of you who are in our nutritional endocrinology practitioner training, you know that this aligns so much with where we start, which is the pillars of health. The, we call them the freedom pillars. And we, if, we don't, if we ignore this, looking for the latest best supplement, the latest best herb, the combination you know, protein powder formula or a drug or a device, not that those things aren't helpful, but those aren't the things that are going to make us well. If we have a b- bad foundation, no matter how many of those things you do, you can't be well. And, you know, just remember at the end of the day, you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet. You can't supplement your way out of a bad diet. And what you put in your mouth is going to be the biggest influencer on your health. No matter who you are, no matter what you are, diet what you put in your mouth, when you put it in your mouth, and how you put it in your mouth is going to be the number one influencer on your health. This has been awesome. We've been talking to Dr. Jen Simmons, 17 years experience as a breast surgeon, now turned functional medicine practitioner. And she's really dedicated to what we're all dedicated to, helping people truly heal not just covering up their symptoms with Band-Aids, not just cutting and irradiating out something, but truly helping people to heal. So thank you. Where can people reach you? So my practice is called Real Health MD, and you can find me online there, my website. Um, And if you want to get in touch with me, you can contact me right through that website or send me an email at info at realhealthmd.com. If you're into social media, I'm all over social media at Dr. Jen Simmons, and my Jen has two N's. Two ends. Got it. And we will have all this information on the show notes page so that you can stay in touch. Um, Thank you so, so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I really, I feel like we're so aligned in our approach and our attitude all the way down to the fasting and the plants and the, you know, keto-ish is what I like. A keto-like, I sometimes say, uh, diet that's mostly plants. Um, So for you guys listening, if you want more in depth, um, conversations about this, head over to our website, um, inemethod.com. We are creating a movement to reinvent healthcare. Thank you so much. And until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.